0: Please remain standing in honor and respect of the Lord's word. The reading this morning is from Prophet Daniel, chapter 3, found on page 739 of the Purack Bible. We'll be reading verses 1 through 18. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits, and its breadth six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, and the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn All the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready when you hear the sound of the horn pipe lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good but if you do not worship you shall immediately be cast into a burning fiery furnace and who is the god who will deliver you out of my hands Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego answered and said to the king O Nebuchadnezzar we have no need to answer you in this matter If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. This is God's word.
1: Now, I should apologize for making all of you stand so long. Uh, I picked a long passage, but if it's any consolation, uh, the passage I'm using actually goes through verse 30, so I saved you 11 verses. Uh, uh, Let's pray this morning uh, before I begin. Lord, we thank you for today. Uh, We thank you for the opportunity to come as one people, united uh, by your sacrifice, by your love, for us. Help us this morning to, uh, to be attentive, to be uh, searching ourselves. That if we see an area where, Lord, we are still holding back from you, or we are choosing to do things our own way, God, convict us. Help us to grow in our love for you, in our appreciation of your greatness, of your majesty. Cut us to the heart, God. We pray this in your good, and in your precious name. Amen. Now, one thing that hasn't changed in the thousand years of human history is our love for stories. You know, when we're a kid, we ask our parents, you know, please tell me my favorite story again and again and again and again. Now, my daughter's young, so she doesn't have a favorite story. Uh, but, what we do is we go through her books and we just make animal noises, but she loves it uh, we 've got this one book uh, what is it little blue truck it 's just a story about a little blue truck it 's really not that good uh, but but that 's children 's books um, But when we learn to read, well, well at least some of us discover that the library is actually kind of a fun place to go to. Was that just me? Uh, But I went to the library, and I would check out books, and I would read books, and it seemed like every time you turned a corner, there were more and more stories that you hadn't seen yet, that you hadn't discovered, uh, that were yet to be read and appreciated. Uh, There are classic stories. There are stories that stretch the imagination. There are uh, gritty stories that make us rethink the way we perceive ourselves and the world around us. Uh, When we're in school, we read old stories that we're not nearly old enough or mature enough to actually appreciate. Uh, And when we get together with our friends, we swap stories about the night we had before or about the things going on in our lives or about the things that we'd like to do or the people we'd like to be. Uh, We share stories, and when we get old enough, we start to start saying things like, you know, today's music just isn't what it used to be or it's just not very good, we do the unthinkable and we start to listen to stories wherever we can find them, even talk radio. I know, I'm in my early 20s and I realized the other day, I, I really like talk radio. I drive home from church and see if we get out at the right time, uh, you can all get in your cars and listen to A Prairie Home Companion. Which some of you appreciate some of you don 't that 's okay there's just a bunch of stories that don 't make any sense and they don 't matter anyway so but that 's why we appreciate stories they, they, they call us into a different world, into a different uh, frame of mind and this morning, I want to tell you an old story, uh, not necessarily to breathe new life into it, but rather to remind you of the life that's already there inside it i think too often we we write the old testament off as this this collection of boring old children's stories the story of adam and eve the uh, story of moses and you know they make movies out of this stuff like uh, prince of egypt maybe that's a little old i remember watching well old is is relative i guess um, But you get other stories. You get uh, Samson, David and Goliath, you name it. There are these old stories that I feel like we only read to kids, and then once we get older, we kind of just write them off as old stories. The New Testament, well, we hear a little bit more of that. We hear the Gospels, Christmas, uh, Easter, and, well, everybody likes Paul, so we hear that preached a lot. Uh, But Scripture, we get these disconnected stories that don't make a lot of sense, you know, all on their own. Um, but we forget that the Bible isn't just this collection of cute and sometimes dark fairy tales, but that these are real things that happen to real people that really happened. They teach us who God is, uh, who we as believers are called to be, and the people in these stories um, are examples that we can learn from today. The beautiful thing, the wonderful thing about stories, Is that they're timeless. So I want to begin our story today by painting a backstory. So in Israel's history, you have uh, a time where they're just one united nation. Uh, During some period uh, in Israel's history, they split. And so you get the, the upper kingdom, the northern kingdom of Judah, and you get the southern kingdom. Well, the southern kingdom doesn't play a big role in our story today, so I'm just going to leave that out if that's okay with all of you. So we'll focus on Judah. Now, uh, Judah finds itself in a rather difficult position. I don't know how much you know about Israel, but uh, it's a lot nicer than some of the land around it. And so it's this fertile tract of land uh, that's squeezed between Egypt to the south. You get Assyria to the north, You get Babylon to the east, and to the northeast you get the Medes. Nations in the ancient Near East that are just struggling for power. Now, Judah is in this awful position. Because if if one of these nations decides that the other is getting a little too powerful, they're going to attack. But where do they have to go through? Judah If if Egypt thinks that, well, I don't like Babylon, they have to go through Judah. If if Babylon decides, well, I don't really like Egypt, or if the Medes decide they don't like Egypt, or if Assyria decides, well, I'll go along the coast to get Babylon, which wouldn't make a lot of sense, but hey, I don't know war strategy. They have to go through Judah. And so Judah (laughs) doesn't have a lot of choices. Uh, And so what happens is that Assyria starts to get strong. Babylon's not a big fan of it. So Babylon attacks Assyria. The Medes, thinking, hey, that's not a bad idea, decides to join in. Egypt, like, well, Babylon and Assyria, if I have to pick between the two and the Medes are attacking Assyria, if I help Assyria, then maybe I can get a little bit of power. So they join in the fight. And Judah, not knowing what to do with themselves, kind of has to assess the situation. It's like when you are uh, when you were a kid and you sat... Yeah, okay, raise your hand if you had siblings. All right, so you're going to appreciate this. Uh, it's like when you were a kid and you went anywhere and you were the kid stuck right in the middle seat and your siblings were on either side and for some reason they, that day they decided they didn't like each other. So they were fighting and they were, they were throwing fists and they were slapping and you're stuck in the middle. So in order to hit each other... They have to reach over you to smack each other. Now, how long does that last? Now, that doesn't last long because if you're in the middle, you have two choices. You can sit there and take it, which, you know, might work for a little while. Or you pick a side and you start smacking too, hoping that the smacking stops. Uh, And so Judah has been under the, the government of Assyria. And as Egypt comes up to help Assyria, uh, Josiah, the king of Judah, makes a choice. He thought, well, if the Egyptians help out and they come up here and they get territory alongside us, maybe maybe they'll try to take us under their government. And now Judah has had hundreds of years under Egypt and they're not doing that again. So what they do is Josiah attacks Egypt as they're coming up to help Assyria, They lose, Josiah dies, and, well, it just wasn't a great thing. Uh, When you take two nations that are fighting against uh, other powerful nations and you weaken one of them, then the nation that they're fighting against sort of has an easy way to work in and work against you. So what you have is Babylon taking down Assyria and coming to power. And so what you have... Is King, now I'm going to use a lot of names that you'll never have to remember, and that's okay. Uh, But King Nabopolassar of Babylon gained control of Syria, of Palestine, and Judah. And what he does is he dies. (laughs) And shortly after, one guy that we recognize, Nebuchadnezzar, comes to power. And now how does he celebrate his victory? Does he throw a big party? Does he? No, what he does is he goes to Jerusalem, takes a bunch of plunder, takes a bunch of people captive, and he takes them all the way back to Babylon. Hundreds of miles, long journey, but what he did is he took, he took the attractive young males. Why? <laughs> Good question. I have an answer. So why would he take the attractive young males? Males. Well, I'll get to that. There are four captives that I want to focus on in particular. There's Daniel. We all know who Daniel is. Uh, there's Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Okay. Now you might be thinking, Daniel, Daniel, I know that guy. That's the guy with the lions. But who are those other three? Well, you might know them better as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Or if you have kids and have been exposed to veggie tales, <clears throat> you might know them better as Rackshack and Benny. Now, I'm not going to refer to them as Rackshack and Benny. I actually haven't seen it. Uh, I see my wife smiling at me. Now we're going to watch that probably. Um, but, you know, Daniel had another name, too. It was Belteshazzar. Now, I haven't practiced all of these names, but I'm going to try my best. Belteshazzar. How would you like that for a name? Hi, everybody. My name is Belteshazzar. And i have <laughs> No, all right. Um, but these four and a number of other young men were taken, and they were brought to Babylon with a purpose. Uh, they're described in Daniel 1.4 as being youths without blemish. Of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace. And the Babylonians uh, were to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. Now, the idea was that these guys would eat the king's food, they'd drink with the king drank, they would uh, be educated, they would be taught about the literature, the religion of Babylon, the language of Babylon, with the purpose of them becoming Babylonian. And so, as far as anyone else was concerned, these were Babylonian people. They were given Babylonian names. They were given Babylonian gods. And so it was a symbol that old Neb, Nebuchadnezzar, just old Neb is easier, so if I say that, you know who I'm talking about. Old Neb, uh, Rakshak many old Neb. Uh, now he was so powerful that he could conquer your lands, that he could take your, your young attractive males, he could make them into new people, uh, and they would serve Babylon and make it even greater than it was. It was a statement. I am this powerful. I am more powerful than you. I can change you. I have complete control over you, and you will always see it. Your own people work against you. Your young men work against you. The people who should be fighting in your army serve me. Now, they were given New identity, stripped of their old ones. Now think about it, they're given new names. Daniel in Hebrew uh, means something like, God is my judge. Belteshazzar, Bel protect his life or protect the king. Bel being uh, a Babylonian god. Hananiah, which means Yahweh or the Lord shows grace, shows favor, is changed to Shadrach, which means command of a coup, who is the Babylonian moon god. Mishael, which means who is what God is. It's more of a statement than a question. Um, is changed to Meshach, which means something like what is, sorry, who is what Aku is. That's tricky to say. Um, Aku being the moon god, so saying it's as if he just flipped his name. Who is the God of Israel? Or rather, who is Aku? And then you have Azariah, uh, which means roughly in the Hebrew, Yahweh has helped, the Lord has helped, changed to Abednego, uh, servant of Nebu, which is another Babylonian god, which, if you pay attention to names, uh, Nebuchadnezzar or Nebuchadnezzar, same same thing. It's got that God's name in it. So these new names, uh, they show that these guys have new identities. They have new gods. They're not the same people. Which is why when they refused to eat the king's food uh, earlier in Daniel, because it would defile them according to the laws of Moses, they were in essence defying the will of the king. Here they are Babylonians, but they they don't want to do what the king of Babylon wants them to do. And so, still... After eating only vegetables for 10 days, you've heard these stories, uh, they were better looking and fatter, in a good way, than all of the young men who were eating all the king's food. And when the time came for them to be examined to see how much they had learned, uh, Scripture says that they were 10 times better than any of the magicians or any of these sorcerers or, uh, I don't know, we might call them fortune tellers, uh, in all of the kingdom of Babylon. And because Daniel reveals and interprets Old Neb's dream, which no one else in the kingdom could know or interpret because God revealed it to him, he's promoted and made ruler over the whole province of Babylon, and he's made prefect over all the wise men in Babylon. And so he calls in a favor with Old Neb and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are promoted with him. So Daniel remains in the king's court and the other three are over the province of Babylon. They're out amongst the people. So, what we have are guys who go from simple captives to picky eaters to rulers over the nation that they were captured to serve. That's the backstory for our story today. So, uh, I want to begin by looking at the beginning of Daniel chapter three. Um, we're going to get there in a second. I want to I want to help you realize something here too. So, old Neb, a smart guy that he is, does what leaders of every great nation try to do. They try to unify their nation. So, if we read at the beginning of chapter three. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth its breadth, six cubits. He set it up on the, the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent together the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Neb had set up. Then the satraps, prefects, and all the other guys uh, gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Uh, they stood before the image, and they were commanded, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, the harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that the king has set up. So, when you think about it, This is something that throughout history has happened. Babylon tries this here. Uh, Later, the Romans try something very similar. And so what they have is this idea that if everybody comes and pays tribute to the emperor, well, that shows that you're loyal citizens. Uh, It's the same reason why in, in certain... See, I don't know how common this is anymore, but when I was a kid, I remember there was a certain time every day where we would stand up, we'd look at the flag, we'd put our hands over our hearts, and we'd recite the Pledge of Allegiance. That's something all of us did. We did it together. It was something that the country did together. It was something that unified us. And so, when, Neb is, when old Neb is doing this, he's, he's trying to get everyone to conform to this one particular behavior. You have you have old Babylonians. You have people that you've captured and brought into your nation. How do you get them to work together? How do you get them to all serve you, to be loyal to you together? Well, you give something that they share, something that unifies them. And so when the music plays, you fall down and you worship the image. It's that simple. It's not actually that hard of a request. When the music plays, you you fall down. Now... You might say, well, what if I don't know where the image is? Well, it's not hard to miss. You just look for the big new statue. Uh, and you wonder, well, how big is it? Well, it's 60 cubits by 6 cubits. So 60 cubits tall, 6 cubits wide. Uh, if you do the math on that, each cubit is 18 inches. Uh, then what you end up with is roughly a statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. Okay, well, that might be easy to spot. If you still can't find it, it's made of gold. It's shiny. Now, we don't know whether it was just plated with gold. I don't know if you're interested in that sort of thing. But I was. Uh, So what you have is an old historian records a golden image in Babylon made of 800 talents of gold. 800 talents. What does that add up to? Well... Roughly 22 tons or 44,000 pounds of gold. So that's not something you're just looking around and miss. (laughs) You notice it, and it's in the plane. It's in a field. It's out there where people can see it, where they notice it. And it's a simple request. When the music plays, fall down and worship. So I actually came up with a fun little thing you can remember here. When the music plays, you fall down and pray... Uh, And those who don't burn to death in a furnace. Uh, (laughs) So, uh, easy to remember. Uh, When the music plays, fall down and pray. Those who don't, burn to death in a furnace. And so this was great. When the music played, everyone fell down and everything was peachy. Except for three guys who were continually uh, making an issue for the king of Babylon. So, these Uh, Chaldeans come to the king and they start to accuse Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, you know, from our perspective, we thought, well, how dare you? But in all reality, they have a good case. So uh, if you look at verse 9, they start to butter up the king. So they declare to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Uh, You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears... Well, this is where they start to just state the facts now every man who hears the sound of the music and worship uh, they shall fall down and worship the golden image and whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning fiery furnace so basically they're saying hey we know what you told us uh, it's pretty clear and then they get to the last part verse 12 and they said there are certain jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, and this is where they start to accuse, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And you think about, well, why is that important? Why why are they making this accusation? And why do we read in verse 13 that Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. Well, I think Nebuchadnezzar has a good reason. So if the king feeds you, you you give him your loyalty. If he treats you with favor, educates you, gives you positions of power and authority in his kingdom, you pay him your loyalty. And if he sets up a golden image and says, when the music plays, you fall down. and You do this out of loyalty and respect and obedience to me. You do it because it's your king. And he's done great things for you. And then you get these three Jews who have, they have no idea what they should be doing. And even if they know what they should be doing, they're not doing it. And that is a sign of disrespect, disobedience. And it undermines my rule as king. to show how gracious he is, he gives them a second chance. It's as if he's saying, guys, guys, I don't believe this. You're, now, I give you food, I give you shelter, I give you power. Just fall down and worship and we'll pretend like this never happened. Just make it go away. Show that you serve me, show that you serve my gods, prove these guys wrong, But if you don't, I'll be forced to make an example of you. I don't want to do it. What God, if I choose to make an example of you, can save you from me who conquered your land, who took you captive, who has power to change your name, who holds your lives in my hands? Guys, just do it. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego reply in verse 16. O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Oh, if I was the king and they said that to me, oh, Oh, that wouldn't be good. Uh, He says, but then they keep going on. They don't stop there. They say, if this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And I think this is just interesting. They say, you know what? You say that you're so powerful, but our God can save us. And even if he doesn't, we're not going to do what you ask us. We're not going to bow down and worship your God. We have one God. We're sticking with that. We're not changing who we are because you ask us to. And the rest of the story just really tells itself. So in verse 19, Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I think that's really interesting, the way they worded that. He was furious, and his face, his facial expression changed. (laughs) I just, I'm picturing a movie where you just get that slow motion, just angry snarl, and then and then he keeps, it keeps going. He says, he ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments. They were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. I love this next part. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, not True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men, unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came up to the door of the burning, fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Now, what I was wondering is why on earth doesn't he ask for the fourth person to come out? He asks for those three. Now, it's interesting. When he says, son of the gods, what he's saying from his perspective is, that's not a normal person. That's some sort of angel. That's some sort of deity. That's something supernatural that's walking with them. And I just think it's interesting. He never asks who this fourth person is. He just goes off of the assumption this is something I have no knowledge of, something I have no reason to question. They have something that I don't quite understand. It says, Then Nebuchadnezzar came near the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Uh, then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Now when I grill, I stink like smoke. Anyone who's ever gone camping knows that everything you own and bring with you will stink like smoke. And dirt and fish and whatever else you touch. But smoke... And here you have three guys who are thrown into this fiery furnace. So hot that the people who throw them in are killed. And they come out okay and don't even smell like smoke. No no lost eyebrows, no burnt-off finger hair like when you start the grill and it... um, They come out all right. And, And Nebuchadnezzar answers... And says, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Now I find that interesting. He, he not only... He's just blown away by the fact that they're okay. But he says, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, who sent his angel, delivered his servants, uh, these servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command. He's not not criticizing anymore that you, you were disobedient and you weren't loyal to me. Instead, he's saying, you put me aside and glory be to whatever God you worship. I find that to be just miraculous. Now, in an act of absolute rebellion, these three commit themselves to death, not because they know God will save them, even though He can, but because they refuse to abandon the God they serve regardless of the pressure put on them. They were more willing, rather than to give up who they were, they were willing to go into flames to die at whatever death would be given to them. They weren't willing to give up who they were despite being in a new place with new names, living new lives in a place where it looked like God had all but abandoned them. Think about where they are. They've been carried hundreds of miles in captivity to another land by a king who doesn't respect their God, by a king who has no respect for them, who has changed their lives, taken their lives away, given them lives that they didn't ask for. You know, they could have sat there the whole time and asked, where is God? Given the opportunity, they thought, well, hey, we've got it pretty good here. It's not like we can just go home. So they give up positions of power and authority and they disrespect the king who had actually taken care of them despite kidnapping them. Uh, and they just rebel. Now, last week, we talked about the importance of finding our identity and who God is and who we are in God's eyes. If you weren't here, that's okay. Uh, two weeks ago, I wasn't here because I... Uh, I was never actually meaning to bring this up, but somehow I did, and now there's no getting out of it. Um, (laughs) I was supposed to preach two weeks ago, but you know how we switched the service to be earlier, and it was at 9.30, uh, and then Pastor Brandon gave me a call at 9.30 and woke me up. I was, hey, hey, where are you? Uh, uh, Well, that was off topic. Um, So... (laughs) If you weren't here last week, that's okay. I'll kind of tell you what we were talking about. Um, but, uh, well, I lost my spot. Uh, if you were left wondering last week, how does this apply to me? What does this mean for me? I really want you to think about the story we just heard. So here were three guys who were under constant pressure to conform from people who didn't know God. They were being told, be like us, eat like us, live like us, worship like us, do what we do, be like us. And every time they were faced with the question of whether to give in or not, to listen to these pressing voices or not, they went back to what made them who they were in a place where everyone around them was telling them to be someone different. You know, like... Be like us. Fit in. Fall in line. Play the part you're given. Be like us. And so the last few weeks, we've been talking about the gospel at school. And I remember high school, and I don't have a lot of good memories of high school. So I, I don't know. That probably doesn't sound too encouraging for those of you uh, in high school or going into high school. But hey, once you get through it, you'll be fine. Um, but every day, I, I remember students, we're being told by everyone around us, be like us. When I was in high school, uh, people would be like, you're too serious. Be like us. Mess around. Uh, you are too weird. <laughs> be more like us. Uh, you're too fat. Be like us. Or You're too skinny. Be like us. I didn't get that one so much, but that's okay. Uh, other people do. Uh, you're too smart, be like us. Or you're too stupid, be like us. Um, you're too uptight, drink a little, be like us. Uh, you're still a virgin, <laughs> be like us. You still believe in God, be like us. We feel the pressure of everyone expecting us to be perfect just like them. We have to dress like them, look like them, act like them, live like them, be like them them there's this overwhelming pressure to be what everyone else expects you to be and god is waiting there with his arms open saying i love you not who these other people expect you to be not who they're calling you to be but who you are in my eyes You don't have to be, you don't have to worry about being pretty enough or smart enough or cool enough or rich enough. God made you. He pursued you. And He is what makes you, you. You don't have to become anything to earn His love. You don't have to listen to all of the voices telling you who you have to be or who you should be or could be. There was one voice that does not falter. That is telling you who you are to Him. And we as a culture, we're pressured to believe certain things about God, about ourselves. As a church, we're pressured to keep our beliefs to ourselves, to keep our faith to ourselves, underwrapped, secretive. We don't need that. We as individuals are pressured to be like everyone else, to live like everyone else, to accept what other people accept, to stop believing in the myth that there's a God, and to live in the enlightened truth that we make our own worth. We've been pressured into preaching certain things about God, that He's loving and He's accepting, that He takes us as we are, and that's true. But we've been pressured to overlook Other things about God, that he hates sin, that he does things that we're incapable of understanding, that he has made us for greater things than worldly pleasures and selfish gain. We've been pressured into accepting the lie that we can fit God into this small box that we have control over. Impression into believing God is whoever I think he is, whoever I want him to be or need him to be. And so we speak of God as our friend and pretend that he isn't the great and mighty creator of everything that exists. We speak of God's mercy and compassion and we pretend away his wrath and his justice. We speak as if we're God's masterpiece, the epitome of his creation, worthy of his attention and blessing and love, rather than speaking of ourselves as made in his image. As people who have the distinct and greatest honor to point to the one who made us, whose image we're made in, who is alone worthy of our attention, our blessing, our love. Rather than giving in to the pressure, we need to root our identity in who God is. Trusting in who God is, not in who I want Him to be. As long as we're in this world, we're going to face pressure to conform. How we respond to that pressure shows what defines us. Shows what we're built on. Shows what makes us who we are. Either we give in to the pressure and we seek what everybody else seeks, or we resist it and we show that we've already found something greater. Who I serve makes me who I am. My understanding of God makes me who I am. My trust in Christ makes me who I am. And we serve a God who cannot be pressured. So, I preached on this message once under the title uh, a good story. Uh, it wasn't a very good sermon, uh <laughs> but it was it was based on a good story. Uh but more than that, I think it's a beautiful reminder of what it looks like to trust in God. It's a wonderful example of what it means to build our lives on the one firm foundation It's a story preserved for us to show the power of our God who can humble kings, overcome death, and use simple people to display His glory. Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel, delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than to serve and worship any god except their own god. There is no other god who is able to rescue in this way. Let's pray. God, we come this morning to worship you as the only God, as the only one worthy of worship and attention and love. A God who is great and mighty enough to create the world, to create everything that we know, and yet while we were sinners who rebelled against you, God, you showed love in the greatest way ever seen on the face of this earth through sending your Son who lived a life we couldn't live, who died a death we couldn't die, who got something for us that we could never earn, gave it to us freely as a gift of love. God, we pray that who you are, what you've done for us, and who we are in your eyes will change us in such a way that the people around us will see who you are based on the way you have changed our lives. We pray that because of how you've loved us that we love other people and point others to the great love that we have found. You know, we're quick to to show other people good things, whether it's restaurants or clothes or music, God, help us even more so to point to something more important and valuable and life-giving, your gospel. And help us to share that with others knowing that they need it as much as we needed it when we heard it, as much as we need it every day. God, work in us and change us God, we thank You that You are a God of love and a God of might who has chosen to care for us. Help us this week to examine ourselves, to take time to spend with You, to share our lives with You, the God who has pursued us, who has chased after us, who has come after us with open arms. God, help us to turn to You, to root ourselves In the great value and worth that you place on us. That we have as your creation and your beloved. We pray these things in your great and your holy name, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ who has saved us and set us free. Amen.